we're starting a brand new series today, and this series is going to take us all the way to camp. Um, can I just say, uh, camp, you know, when you come to church, uh, they say going away on a weekend of camp is worth about three months of church life. Because at church, you come and you say hello for like, you know, 10 minutes. But at camp, you get that weekend. It's like two, you know, two nights, three days away. You really get to know people and you really get to meet people and, and we get to meet you. And like, like, you know, Ellen goes, yeah, money back guaranteed. Like, I'll pay you money to come. Like, there, <laughs> like I cannot stress this enough. When you talk to people about, you know, some of the really life-changing moments uh, between you and God, I would say 50% of people in this room would talk about camp, about removing yourself from what is here. And it's weird. I know it's weird. You go away and, um, you know, it's, it feels really odd. But there's this thing about moving away from your, you know, whatever you're going through and just spending some dedicated time with God, you come back with, and I think the key is you come back with clarity. Things become clear. And so if you have not uh, read Jode, which we know some you have and haven't, um, yeah, please do so. And uh, the camp is open um, for people outside of our church too, but as I said, it is, as it's been said, it is first come, first serve, and we do have limited spaces, so please uh, don't miss out. Uh, this series, I'm really excited about this series. It's called People of Faith. This year at our church, our yearly theme or our motto has been these two words, by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to truly live by what we believe? Right? What would it look like to be a person of faith? Now, earlier in the year, um, when we went through the Hebrew series, Hebrews 11 is the great hall of faith. People in the past, in, in the Bible, that exampled great faith in God and in, and, and, and in their lives and how it ended for them. And so what we're going to do is over the next month and a bit, we're going to go back to the Old Testament and some in the New Testament. And we're going to look at different people and different characters of the Bible who exampled great faith. And as we go through this series, the goal, the goal is not to just look and, 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 and hear about these characters in the Bible and, and, and admire them, but it's really a challenge to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, am I a person of faith? Am I someone that lives by what I truly believe or maybe I'm not? Maybe I believe something, and yet my life does not look the same. Um, I'm really excited for this series. And usually when we start a new series, I ask my wife to pray for us, but she's in Cambodia, so I ask myself. Okay, let me pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for everyone in this room, everyone who's joining us online. We pray as, as we look at different um, people and their stories in the Bible, we pray that not only would we be amazed about your goodness, but would you challenge us, Lord, in the lives that we live to live in what we believe, that we would become people of faith. 
in all areas of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today's story is about a man named Abraham. Now, we first meet Abraham in Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham out of all the people in the world. He calls Abraham, this one guy, and tells Abraham, I am going to create a nation, my people, through you. Now, the problem was this one. Abraham and his wife Sarah, they did not have any children, even though God had promised nations and descendants, but they didn't have any kids. And so from the moment that Abraham gets called by God in in Genesis 12, it takes 25 years, 25 years for a child to come. Now, you would think that if God said, hey, I'm going to do this through you, you would think that things would happen quickly. Isn't that us? We're the instant generation, right? When, when we, we want things and we want things now. We're so impatient, right? Back in the day, two-minute instant noodles was a phenomenon. But how many of you, be honest, when you're cooking two-minute noodles, you're watching it and you're like, come on, come on, come on, Right? We're waiting for one minute and 30 second noodles to come, right? We are so impatient. And yet, and yet, right, we read this situation where God took 25 years, right? Imagine someone promised you something and it took 25 years, right? Our generation, we wouldn't be able to handle that. But this is what happens. Now, and during this time, right, Abraham, because he's a human, right, him and his wife Sarah, they actually, they tried to force the hand of God to create a child. Right? They tried to create a child through a, another a slave, and then they got angry at God for not fulfilling his promises. They even mocked God. They even laughed at God, saying, come on, God, you, you promised this, and look, we can't even have kids. And yet, when Abraham turned 100, God gave them a child. And this child's name was Isaac. Now, that's the... That's the history behind the story, okay? That's not the story. The story is actually in Genesis 22, and that's what we're going to look at today. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to uh, Genesis 22. It's going to be on the screen, and we're going to go through this story, okay? Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, there's a lot in those two verses, right? Let's start with this. What was God testing? Right? This is the, this is the key, right? God tested Abraham. What was it? What was the test? The test was this. Abraham now had a son that he loved, that he waited 25 years for. The test was, Abraham, do you still love me? God saying, Abraham, are you still committed to me now that I've given you what I've promised? Or have you moved on? Did you only love me for what I could give to you? Where is your allegiance? Now that Abraham had a child, would he still obey and follow God? Would he still trust in God and the promises that God had made him? 
Would God still be the most important being in his life now that life had changed? This is massive. This seems really foreign to us sometimes, but I think it's actually a part of our lives all the time. I think it's very easy at times to say, God, I love you. God, I want to be committed to you. I'm going to follow you. And then life changes, whether for the good or the bad. I've seen it. I've been in ministry for for nearly 20 years now. I've seen every single, you know, people get married. It's a great thing. And then suddenly God becomes second. People have kids. Great thing. Suddenly God becomes second. People go into trouble. Suddenly their problems become more important than God. So this is a situation that Abraham finds himself in. And yet, as we read the story, I'm going to see how Abraham responds. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Let's pause there. Now Abraham immediately gets up, loads his donkey and moves on. He, he obeys But the bit we don't read in this, and I guess this is the part that we need to read into a little bit, is is this. How do you think Abraham was feeling? Right? Now, obviously, it doesn't talk about it, but we can make some pretty good guesses, right? Abraham had one kid. He waited 25 years for this one kid. This one kid came when he probably couldn't even have had kids, right? And God says, hey, Abraham. Give him up. Give him up. Sacrifice him. Isaac was the most precious thing that Abraham had in his life. So there's an element where as much as we, you know, if you've read the story, you know, you'll know where we end. But I think there's a point where we just have to pause and understand that. Like, it's not, God was not asking, honestly, I don't think God was asking something that is humanly possible. Now, scholars say, and there's a little bit of difference on this, by the time this story came about Isaac, some scholars say Isaac was about 10 years old by then. Some say Isaac was 30 years old. 30, right? Now, so whether he's 10 or whether he's 30, right, he would have seen sacrifices done before. He would have seen Abraham, his father, give sacrifices because it was part of culture. And so it's no big deal to go into the wilderness and give a sacrifice. But Isaac knew when you go to sacrifice, you need wood, you need something to burn it with, and you need something to burn. You need the offering. And so Isaac asked Dad a very important question. Hey, Dad, I can see you're prepared. You've got the wood. You've got all these bits and pieces. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Good question. Abraham replies, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, at that point, how do you think Abraham's feeling? 
right? Once again, think about it. Abraham knows what God has asked him to do. Abraham knows what is about to happen. So Isaac's like, hey, dad, where's the offering? And Abraham's like, God will provide. But Abraham, in his mind, knows that it's you. How do you think, how, how does that make Abraham feel? I don't, how would you, like, it's hard to even comprehend that. It's, it's hard to even, like, I can't even explain that to you. Like, how much pain, like, I think the closest thing that, that, that I could even imagine, and, and, and I'm not going to downplay this, but if, if someone that you were close to um, got sick and, 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 you know, like, to the point where, like, it, it was just incurable, like, how would that make you feel, someone that you're close to? I just don't know. And then imagine if that was your kid. Like, that's as close as I get to it. It's pretty crazy how much pain it would have been for, for Abraham to answer Isaac, his one and only son, knowing that that's what God wanted. Now, this is the really intense part. Now, if, if this, uh, if this uh, chapter was a movie, this is when the, the music comes like... Dun, dun. Oh, no, that's Jaws, right? Sorry. Um, you know, like, this is where the really intense music comes, right? Let me read verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, which he would have done with every other sacrifice. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He bound his son Isaac, his one and only son. He bound him and he laid him on the altar. Now, the bit you don't hear, once again, is what Isaac's thinking. Uh, Dad? What are you doing, Dad? <laughs> right? Now, imagine he's 10, right? 10 is my daughter's age, right? They're still little, probably could have. But imagine if Isaac was 30. Dad? <laughs> Dad? <laughs> what are you doing? How do you think Abraham would have been? Well, in my head, I, I, you know, and, and, you know, when I get to heaven, I'll ask for the playback, right? I reckon Abraham would have been in tears. Binding his own son. He, he would have been an absolute wreck, right? Bounds him, puts him on the altar. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Right? Even reading that makes me feel so anxious. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And you, you, I don't know if you watched this ever when you were growing up as a kid, but if you watch it in the cartoons, there's this moment where literally Abraham gets the knife and he's about to slay his son out of obedience to God. And then right at that moment, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your one and only son. Just, you gotta, you gotta imagine this. He's about to go. There's nothing stopping Abraham at that time. And God intervenes through his angel and says, Abraham, stop. You don't need to do this. 
Because now I know. Now I know. Your love for me has not changed. Your commitment to me has not changed. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Bathsheba. And Abraham stayed in Bathsheba. That's the story. God provides a ram. They sacrifice it because God's seen the obedience. And then God declares to Abraham, says, I will bless you. I will make your descendants. And I love the imagery, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And as numerous as the sand on the beach. What does that mean? It means you can't count them. You can't count them. How many times you... I don't know if you've ever done any astronomy. I did some astronomy a few months ago and went out to the Blue Mountains. And, you know, this is this star and this is this star. And, this, you know, like 70 billion stars in the world. Like, cool, you know. Start counting them. One, two, you know, like, you know, or, you know, a more closer one is like, you know, Beach, right? You go to the beach, sand on the beach, right? How many grains of sand are there? You can't even count it. And yet that's that's the blessing that God's going to give to Abraham. That's the blessing that God gives through Abraham, all because Abraham was a person of faith. It's It's a pretty intense story, right? Now, what's amazing about Abraham in this story is that as you get to know Abraham, and if you read Genesis and read the story of Abraham, this is not the first time Abraham's faith is presented, and it's not the last time either. So in one sense, if you, if you actually knew Abraham, there's an element where you would be like, oh, okay, Abraham is just that kind of a guy, right? Right? Because I think that's what faith is about, right? Faith isn't just, it's, it's not about the one act of faith. When we're people of faith, it's not about, you know, doing one element that examples one faith. That's not what makes you faithful. It's about being faithful every day in the big and the small. Now, in your life groups, you're going to unpack Genesis 22. There's more to it, right? But for the sake of our time this morning, I'm going to get straight into the crux of the story and ask you probably the most important question that you need to ask yourself, and it's this, could you do this? Could you do this? Right? Now, let's be realistic, right? There is no parent in this room that would say, I'm okay sacrificing my child if the Lord said so, let alone my one and only child. If anyone right? If anyone was even close to that kind of representation, it would be me. 
because I have the most kids, right? Five, right? Five minus one, four. Well, you still got four. That's still a lot, right? Like if anyone, you know, and after a week without, you know, mom and, you know, you know, I still have four kids at home, okay? Don't worry. They're all still there. One's in Cambodia. Um, but, you know, but, but I, I, like, let's move away from that. I think the question is, could you give up the most important thing in your life if God asked you to? In verse 12, God says, uh, the angel of the Lord, do not do anything to it. Now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Here's the question. Could you live a life that withholds nothing for the sake of God? Now, we could be talking about money. That could be important to you. We could be talking about your security, safety, your career, relationships. Think about what is important in your life. Think about what is the most important thing in your life right now. Think about the last week that you've had. Think about what's been consuming your mind, right? For me, you know, obviously, you know, kids, family, you know, I've been, uh, we're, we're moving house, so like trying to organize, you know, housing, you know, finances are important, future careers are important, this church is important, all these things, all these things that I'm thinking about, right? They're all things that are important. But if God said, and God asked, hey, could you give that up for me? Question is, could you do it? Could you do it? And I would say, hand on heart, for the majority of us, there are things in our lives that we could not withhold from God. We could not let go. That's, I think that's a very honest response. Right? I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to be here and go, oh, you know, you're all so holy and, you know, you'd all give up everything for God and oh, you're a bunch of liars, right? Right? Let's be honest. There are things in our life that we could not give up, we could not withhold, whether it be our families, whether it be comfort, whether it be our financial security, whether it be our career. Do you know why, bud? This is what I want to go to. Do you know why we struggle to obey God? It's because we don't trust God enough that when God says, if you sacrifice this for me, I've got something more. I am more. We think that when we need to do something or when we need to give up something or when we need to sacrifice something, that it's too much and too big and too important to give it to God. And it's only because we don't have the faith to believe that firstly, God is worth it. And secondly, that God is still in control. Right? They're the two things. We don't believe that God is worth it, right? And secondly, we don't believe that God is in control. Now, I'll tell you, this series is going to be a great series, but this series is not going to be an easy series. If you've been coming to church for a while, you will know that my job is not to be the popular vote. 
My job is not for you to like me. I've given that up a long time ago, right? My job is not to be your friend. Friendship is bonus. My job is to convey to you God's heart through his word. This series is going to be in your face. See, for Abraham, number one, God was worth it. He was worth it. God said, hey, can you do this? And what's the response? No questions asked, no resistance, just obedience to the point, the most ridiculous, the most ridiculous thing to ask for. And his heart was breaking the whole time. Right? He's crying the whole time. But what he had, his son, his one and only son, the most prized possession in his life was still less worth than God. And secondly, God had, uh, Abraham had faith that even in this situation, right, even though God said, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to give you descendants that you can't even count, that if he was to give up his one and only son, that God would still be in control and God will still fulfill his promises. The promises of a multitude of descendants. Abraham had faith that even if Isaac was to be taken from him, God would still be in control and work it out. Now, did Abraham know? Did he know what the plan was? No. Did God tell him, hey, if you sacrifice Isaac, I'll give you five other kids? Right? He didn't. And that's what faith is. That's what real faith is. Real faith is found in things that we cannot see. If you can see it, you don't need to believe it. That's proof it's there. Real faith is found when there is nothing, when there's no evidence. Abraham was not in control of this situation, but his faith told him that God was in control, and no matter what, God was still being in control. And it's a question of whether we believe that. We go to Hebrews eleven, seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. What's that saying? Even in this situation, Abraham had the faith to believe that God was in control. That God had the solution. Whether we choose to have faith in God or not will come down to these two factors. Number one, is God worth it? Is God worth it? Right? Is God valuable and worth it to you? And secondly, do you believe that God is in control? Because I tell you what, if it's a no and a no, then you're not going to go to God. You're not going to obey God. You're not going to do what God says. Why? Because he's not worth it and do I trust him? Do I believe he's actually going to do what he says? No. Do I believe that he controls the world? No. 
But if you did believe, if you did believe that God was worth it, if you did believe that he was still in control, that's how we choose to have faith. Now, let's be very real, right? The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that it is a narrow gate and a narrow path to find God. It is not just, can I tell you, it's, it's a narrow gate and a narrow path to find the Chapel Sydney as well, right? But actually, it's actually easier to find this church than to find God and to continue with God. He makes it very, very clear that believing in God and following Him and obeying Him is really hard. It's really hard. And I think the more that, that you get to know God, of course, of course, you see his majesty. When these guys come back from Cambodia, give them some time to tell you their stories about who God is, who they've learned about God, right? But it's so hard. It's so hard to really have this kind of faith. And here's the thing, and I don't want you to be fooled, right? I don't want you to be fooled by thinking that, that having one foot in God's boat and one foot in the world is going to be okay. And I think that's something that, that may or may not be you know, something that you want to hear, but it, it, it doesn't fly. Imagine when you get married, honey, I'm, I'm going to have one foot into this marriage and then I'm going to leave the other one you know, to keep my options open. All right, what? What kind of a marriage would that be? It's horrendous. Right? And yet we think that it's okay with God. And I think Scripture tells us very clearly, no, it's not. Friends, uh, faith is, is hard. It's not something that we immediately pick up overnight. And it, and it comes down to these questions. Is God really worth it? And do you believe that God is in control? And if that's the case, and if this is your choice to say, you know what, I actually do. I do believe that God is worth it. I believe that God is worthy of, he's the most worthy being in this whole universe because he's the creator. And I do believe that God is in control. I've seen the world. It's pretty, pretty jacked up. I've tried to find answers. And it just keeps coming back to no answer. So what do I need to do? What do I need to do to become a person of faith? And the answer, I think, is this. You need to begin by letting go. Verse 14, right? Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Friends, can I tell you, when you live as a person of faith, when you live as a person that believes in God, the creator, to be our God, this is the mountain we live on. The mountain that says the Lord, it will, the Lord will provide. I cannot tell you enough. I can share you story over story over story of so many times in my own life where I have not been in control, that I've been in massive need, whether it be financial need, whether it be housing, whether it be relational, whether it be you know, internal, whether it be forgiveness. 
and all I've got is God. God, that's all I've got. And yet the Lord provides. Yet the Lord provided. Because my faith tells me that God is real, God is good, and that God is in control. He's the controller of our universe, and that's a fact. We just need to learn to believe that. We just need to learn to have faith. So, how do we start? How do we start? Now, I've read this passage so many times, and the thing I love about Scripture and, 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 and my encouragement is, you know, to engage in God's Word. But every time you read things, you know, God has this ability to show you something new. And so I've read this story so many times, and there was this thing that really stood out that I've really never really seen before, and it was how Abraham responds to God. And the first time we see it is in verse 1, where Abraham calls, uh, God calls to Abraham, and Abraham responds, Here I am. God goes, Abraham, and Abraham goes, here I am. And then we see it again in verse 11. Just as Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord calls out, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham replies in exactly the same way, here I am. And I believe that it is that. That is the starting point of becoming a person of faith. It's actually not about doing something. Sometimes we think that to be a Christian, to be a believer, it's about what we do. Can I tell you? It's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. And it's about what God can do in you. And it's a call for each and every one of us because God is calling each and every one of us by name. And the response that, that we need to give to Him to begin our journey of faith, to build our journey of faith, whether you've been a Christian for a year, whether it be a day, whether it be 15 years, it doesn't matter. When God calls, no matter whatever situation you're in, the response is this, Lord, here I am. Here I am to whatever, to whatever you're about to ask. So let me ask you today once again, is God worth it? And do you believe that God is in control? And if you can answer yes to both, and it's okay if you can't, right? It's okay. Like, we're not going to lock the doors and until you answer yes, we're not going to let you. You know, it's not, it's everyone's on their journey. Everyone's on their journey, right? But if you can say yes to those, that God is worth it and that, that I do believe that he is in control of this universe and of my life, then what we need to find ourselves to do is this. God, I let go and I'm here. Here I am. Let's pray.